Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to week 213 and video episode number 39 of Music Is Not A Genre. Each week I take a release from my collection, uh, an LP, a cassette, uh, eventually CDs. I uh, discuss it, I give you my take on it, I throw in some other interesting things, and I connect it to my own music and to things in other parts of the world. Uh, if you like this podcast or my other podcast, Music is Everything, or any of the recorded or live music on this site, or if you like the whole idea that music is not a genre, it's everything, and want to know more about that, please take a moment to subscribe to this page. It would mean a lot to me. Or if you think, and or if you think someone you know might be interested in any of this, in discussing music in general and connecting music to other kinds of music, the other things that's kind of a broad uh, interest in music, then please share this page with them and let them know what I do, however you may describe that. Uh, quick Note, before we start today's podcast, uh, my band Rex t-shirts are being designed, and here is a test version of it. A little line here I want to get rid of, but otherwise, this is our logo, and this is uh, the shirt in black, uh, so uh, I will have more information on that as this develops. Um, this week is, is somewhat of a revisiting of a podcast I did a few months ago. It's not exactly the same, but it is related. Uh, the topic is musical jokes get serious when a quirky idea becomes the next big thing. Um, a few months ago, I did a podcast on comedy albums because I'm going through my whole album collection. It doesn't matter. You know, it's not music, but there's, you know, I, I was able to find a way to connect. Big surprise. And it was like two Eddie Murphy albums and Bob and Doug McKenzie albums. So you can kind of guess the era. And uh, what I was saying was something that a lot of people who study or follow or are interested in both music and comedy know, which is that music and comedy are very closely connected in a lot of ways. You know, the, 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 the timing, phrasing, uh, using conventional forms and ideas to do unconventional things, so many other commonalities can be attributed to both music and comedy. And that's why there are a lot of musicians who very much appreciate comedy and vice versa on even a deeper level. But I think the one that applies most this week is the idea of crossing lines, turning one thing to another, you know, maybe taking something that's considered serious and making it funny or, or you know, taking something considered funny and making it serious. Uh, Hannah Gatsby is a perfect example of somebody who does this in comedy. Um, but what I'm talking about in music has to do with uh, you know, musicians or producers who come up with ideas that start out as really jokes, as like, oh, this will be funny, you know, let's give this a try. And um, 
having a little trouble with my mouth here. And then all of a sudden, you know, other people listen to it and say, no, it's not just funny. That's actually kind of awesome. Let's do that. Right. And so this week's, you know, album that I'm, that I've chosen to kick this idea off with is one that I don't even think you can see. So I'm going to pull it up here. It is, uh, there, M-U, The Best of Jethro Tull. I believe M.U. stood for Musicians Union, which was a joke because apparently the personnel in Jethro Tull changed a lot in the early years. This is an album that was released in 1976 and it has a lot of their greatest hits from their first several years. And, you know, so I guess the question you may be asking yourself is how is, you know, Jethro Tull at all related to the idea of music and comedy, right? You wouldn't immediately think of the band Jethro Tull when you think of comedy or comedic music, frankly. Um, you would think of them as a classic band, a classic rock band, a classic prog rock band, a certain type of prog rock that had its own sound, certainly different from other prog rock bands, but you know, it was, it was its, it, you know, there's no question that it's that. But if you do know anything about Jethro Tull, then you also know that they, uh, had a frontman, Ian Anderson, who played what instrument? The flute. Yes. Uh, how many rock bands do you know where the lead instrument is a flute or the, the front man, the lead singer, the front person plays the flute? I can think, I'm sure there are more, but I can only think of one other right now, and it happens to be Lizzo, who's freaking incredible. She also plays the flute. And having come back after that many decades of kind of being out of the spotlight, that instrument in popular music, again, it was considered even with Lizzo as a quirky thing, you know, and she's commented on it. And certainly, you know, Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull commented on it. That to me is a perfect example of how uh, something that was considered a novelty or unusual became not just accepted, but sort of revered in a lot of ways. And I don't know that the flute thing necessarily, you know, set off a trend, it didn't. But the idea of, I guess, different kinds of instrumentation in, uh, an, you know, in, in a certain style of music uh, was spurred on by something like that. You know, so right there, they're upending convention. And, you know, if you've ever seen, like, here's a, here's a great example. He's on one leg. Can you see this? And I know it's a drawing, but he's on one leg playing the flute, right? And that's a caricature sort of, of sorts of what he did, but he also kind of did do that on stage, you know? And the, and the thing is, people looking back at it would say, oh, it's over serious, it's self-indulgent, it's blah, blah, blah. But even he knew at the time that it was kind of quirky and funny, right? And, and, there's a, and the reason why I know that is because of one of the songs on this album, uh, certainly one of my favorites, and it is uh, number what? I think five, three. It's number three on side one. It's uh, the very, very, very much shorter edit of the song Thick as a Brick. So if you know Thick as a Brick, then you know where I'm going, which is it is a nearly 45-minute song that at the time, LPs ruled the day. It had to be broken up into two sides of an album but it was meant to be an entire, one entire song with many movements and variations and the lyrics were very serious and, and supposed to be based on an old poem and the whole thing. And, and the thing is, they weren't based on, the entire thing was, was, you know, lyrically written by Ian Anderson 
developed by the band. And it was meant to be a joke. It was meant to be a parody of the concept album, a parody of the self-seriousness of progressive rock. And then something happened, you know? Well, a couple things happened. One was, it was taken seriously. And as a serious piece of work, it still works. And then they did this single edit of, you know, three, four minutes. It became a huge hit. There, there was no, it was not necessarily their intention for any of that to happen. They were just having fun. They were just trying out a quirky idea and it became a big thing. And it prompted other artists like Yes and people like that to embrace kind of that long form composition in popular music and rock music in more serious ways, you know? And so that to me is, again, it's like a perfect example of how someone comes up with a funny, quirky idea and turns it into uh, something that, whether it's meant to be taken, you know, it's not meant to be taken seriously, whether people take it seriously or not, eventually it gets woven into the more, you know, conventional idea of music. And I don't even think this is the, the you know, main example of this, to be honest. This was an album I chose. I've been trying to find a way to talk about it. It had more to do than just, oh, Jethro Tull was a prog rock band that played flute. And then this popped up. It's not the most quintessential example. Um, there are other examples of this that uh, you probably don't even know, you know, off the top of your head, started out as jokes. There are, you know, let's, let's, say, let's say this. There are types of singing that people do that started out as, you know, uh, goofs or meant to be over the top, meant to be kind of crazy or uh, not conventional, certainly, and and funny or quirky. But one, And then once that happened, it changed the flow of music. It changed the flow of musical development and, and new, you know, types of music were born from that, new, you know, new styles and bands started to copy that but took it seriously and said no i'm not just doing this as a joke i want to sing like this now you know people super high-pitched voices or you know uh, like punk people who were screaming and things like that screamo itself from the you know 90s and o's and all of that um it, you know a, a novelty thing can kick off an entire new style of music or entire new way of producing or entire new way of performing music on the production side, though, since I mentioned that, that happens a lot, too. And I don't know why this keeps popping into my head, but I think of uh, the Neptunes, Pharrell Williams, you know, duo, the, the production duo that he started in the 90s. And I remember when I first heard some Neptunes productions back then. The thing that struck me was something that then struck me again later when I saw this horror movie maybe 12 years ago. Uh, in the in the middows or so, or a little later than that, and that is, oh my God, that sounds so '80s, and it sounded '80s in almost like a we're goofing on this way, right? And at the time, it was very out of place, and at the time, it was not something that was done in a lot of other production houses or by other producers. And then, I mean, if if you know anything about the history of how music has developed since then, you know that the you know '80s sounds are all over the place now, and they're not considered a retro novelty anymore. They're considered part of the fabric of modern popular music. And yet, you know, in some ways it was them goofing on old sounds or saying, you know, this is going to sound funny or it's going to sound weird or whatever. And, 
you know, there's a, there's a reason why these things happen and, why, and, I, and a reason why they're essential. It's not just because um, uh, a musician or producer says, hey, here's a, here's a funny idea, uh, you know. It, it's, it's because people are always looking for something new. And sometimes you have to bust up what exists whether it's you as a listener who just needs to listen to something different or you as an artist who needs to throw in an element that you haven't used before that in your mind might be thought of as, well, that's just not going to fit. You know, like there's this one, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but she's doing like kind of modern pop music, electronic, but yet at the same time, it's super heavy metal, like super heavy. It's not like fake heavy metal. And, and she's got both of these elements working together in her music and I love it, you know? And, and yet it's something that when you first hear it, you're like, is this supposed to be funny? Like, you know, you know, like, does that, does that jibe in a way that makes sense? And then it makes sense. And then all of a sudden it makes sense. And my hope is that things like that, that that thing in particular influences more popular music today and I know it will one way or another because that's what always happens. In fact, some of the biggest, you know, uh, types of music have been invented as riffs on other types of music. On, uh, you know, I dare you to take this seriously type thing, like a middle finger with a smile is how I say it, uh, approach to changing things. And this is you know, good for the artists, it's good for fans, it's good for the industry in general. Uh, let me read off some of the the types of music that I have down here that have hap- started out as just kind of novelty, goofy things. Jazz, rock and roll, punk, hip-hop, electronic music. These all started as goofy experiments. You know, uh, one artist might have taken it more seriously than another, but, you know, Kraftwerk has said, you know, yeah, they were doing something serious, but they knew there was some funny stuff in there. Devo, another perfect example, and that's electronic music. You know, people who would rap over top of breakbeats, they were just doing it to have fun. They were doing it to get a rise out of the crowd initially, and... Um, almost as a way of taking the piss out of the conventional music that was there, just cutting it up, you know? Look where that led. You know, punk was meant to take the steam out of progressive rock and disco and, you know, all the other stuff that was happening at the time that was considered overblown. And punk influenced post-punk. It influenced emo and power pop and all that kind of thing um and 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 other types of music that don't even seem to be related and 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 you know the sex pistols first album so much of that was a was a joke and they and they in many ways intended it to be they were like i dare again i dare you to take us seriously and i think this is amazing i think it's awesome because first of all you can have your music that you love forever that's great if that's who you are it's the only thing you listen to i love you for that you know it means you're passionate about something that's great but for me and for a lot of other people music uh, equals change music equals growth you know music equals the breadth of life and reality you know it's not just one facet it's not just one type of sonic palette and things like that and so to have people throw these things in unexpectedly whether they start out as a joke or not, 
is really kind of the lifeblood of music for me and for people who you know listen to and create music the way the way I do. You know, in fact, artists, just single artists, do this all the time. There were things that David Bowie did that were considered outrageous and were laughed at. Prince, certainly. You know, um, Madonna, even Beyonce, like people like that who 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 you know are very serious artists and and have gone through many changes on purpose did things that were initially considered kind of weird or quirky or funny. They were dismissed. And then they changed the face of music. So, you know, you can see how, how essential this is, how vital it is. Uh, it's something I've done, uh, I mean, continue to do over and over and over in my music. You know, I started out in pop music and, and like jazz and musical theater and then I wanted to get into rock and I took a few years to develop and kind of add that element into it effectively. And then, uh, you know, I had done a lot of electronic with pop, but not in the way that, you know, is considered strict electronic music. I wanted to get into that. So I added that to it. And so the sound of Wreck is, it's why I call it progressive electro power pop, because it is a combination of all those things and more. It kind of, it, there, there really is no boundary other than the way I hear things in my mind. And I give myself the freedom to throw in an element in, in a song or in an entire album that I haven't used before that I think might be weird or, you know, off the hook in some way, uh, because that should be every artist's right. And I think it, you know, again, it kind of weaves into the fabric of the rest of the changes in music that come from things like this. Uh, and you can hear that very well uh, in particular. I, I'm going to give you two songs. If you scroll down, there are two songs underneath the link to the Jethro Tullum, way down, of mine, uh, Standing There and Your Sweetness, that were recorded a year apart. Uh, maybe not even a year apart, but you know, one was in '95, one was in '96, and you will hear a very, very significant, significant stylistic change between those two, and it's because I heard something and had a desire to do something that was different from what I was doing before. You know, um, do you remember any musical changes in the music you've heard? Small or large, a band that came out, like Nirvana's idea of going soft and loud, soft and loud, that was considered just really unusual, uh, you know, and over the top, uh, that you initially took as a novelty or a joke, which then went on to become like a whole new thing? Uh, or is there an artist you love who made a change or a producer you love that made a change and added something to, you know, uh, the, their new thing that took their career and other types of music in a whole new trajectory. Uh, do you like Jethro Tull at all? Do you see how Jethro Tull fits into this uh, conversation? Uh, which, by the way, quick shout out to my cousin, Jim Costelli, for kind of prompting this entire discussion. Because we had a little jokey exchange about uh, the live shows that I do on Facebook and elsewhere, uh, and throwing in a prog rock song, and we got on the Thick as a Brick, and the whole idea of it being a joke and, and all of that. And I was like, well, that's... That's perfect. So thank you, Jim, for sparking that. Uh, and, and as for you, I want to hear your opinion. I want to hear your comments. Do you agree with me? Disagree with me? Do you love what I just talked about? Do you hate it? Do you, do you feel the same passion that I do for changes in music? Or would you prefer the music to kind of just stay the way it is? I want to know all of this because, as always, my objectives here, uh, my main uh, ideas are music, conversation, 
and connection. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, for watching, for reading, for clicking, for sharing, for subscribing, and I will see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.